What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. And I really like Kristen Stewart's approach to it. And quite a few people who knew Diana said that it's quite a good... She kind of brought together some of the mannerisms and, and brought her to life in a way that they thought was quite impressive. But it's a very strange film, I think. I mean, for one thing, the haircut that Diana has in 1991, according to this film, is significantly more flattering than the haircuts that people actually did have in 1991, if you actually look up pictures. So so that's one element, you know, uh, it's not a complete snapshot. <laughs> hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Flix Watch Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Rich. Hey. Cat. Hey. And Helen the Cat. Hey. We're going to be talking today about Spencer. Thank you always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for editing this podcast and this episode in particular. Do remember to head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and a glowing review because it really helps us. And also, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod or on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, welcome to this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast. Our guests today are Rich and Kat. Over to you please Kat to say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do please. Hi, I'm Kat Lowe. I'm the co-host of the Don't You Want Me podcast with Rich who is with me tonight and yeah we do this pod about relationships in film and it's about the most intriguing, relatable and dysfunctional ones. They can sometimes be romantic, they can sometimes be friendships, they can be toxic friendships, they could be all kinds of different people, different dynamics and yeah we've recently done Gregory's Girl, we did Mm. one on the Wham documentary that's on Netflix and we did one on broadcast news. Yeah so it's all kinds of yeah different things. So the, I guess the one kind of documentary one is quite distinctive, isn't it? When you talk about bandmates and there's quite a few relationships there. You've got the Andrew Ridgely and George Michael one, but they also have like the Pepsi and Shirley kind of vibe in there as well. How did that kind of play out in your episode of the podcast talking about it? Because I really like that one documentary. Yeah, well, it was the first time we'd done a documentary on the podcast, okay. so it was quite new territory for us. So this is real life you're talking about here. You're examining not just fictional characters. Yeah, exactly. So it was quite a different sort of tone for us. And we really enjoyed it because it gave us that sort of opportunity to talk about a friendship where it manages to endure something really huge happening Mm. to the two people involved. And it's quite rare, really, in bands for there to be this massive trajectory, huge success, and for the people not to immediately fall out. 
And it was nice to examine such a positive friendship, wasn't it, Rich? Yeah. And I think when you say about fictional characters, I guess George Michael in some ways was. And (laughs) we got to learn a lot about his kind of friendship with Andrew as youngsters and as he changed from Yogg into George Michael and the big star that he ended up being. And yeah, seeing especially the kind of the way that he was looked back on and in another way about how short-lived their fame as Wham really was, we kind of didn't realise as at the real top. It was probably, what, three years or so? And yeah, from there it was a whistle-stop tour, but a very enjoyable one. I was always surprised that it did end on a friendship where the trajectory was so markedly different. And also George was at the start saying, well, Andrew was a better songwriter at the start. And then suddenly he wasn't. And then Andrew's like, I can't compete, mate. You go for it. Have fun. I'm done. And it seemed like, a, wow, this is mature. I'm not sure how often you see that nowadays. But yeah, anyway, so it's good to, to you know, venturing into real life documentaries, guys. I'd love to hear more of it. But we're here talking today about... Spencer. There's a few relationships in this specific film. I'm not talking about all the relationships in around this this uh, this this very very famous person. But Rich, this is your choice of film. Can you tell us first why you chose it, and then give us the synopsis if there is such a thing. Well, I guess this was one of the you know growing up in the UK in the 90s. This was the big relationship, especially at the start. It was Charles and Diana. Uh, I think this was set in the Christmas of 91, I believe. And seeing this kind of episode and this part of her life, obviously semi-fictionalised, you know, the real characters, and I haven't seen any of the other productions like that, but following the story that we know and the end of their relationship at Sandringham at Christmas, and then going into, you know, this tragedy that everyone knows about, which, you know, spoiler alert, but we do see really a, a portrayal. <laughs> <laughs> we do see a portrayal of what we think the royal family may have been like at the time and the mental health struggles that she was going through that were very well documented before and after she died. And seeing really a a version of events that saw her leaving the royal family, as it were, and just that whole environment, really. It's so alien to 99.999% of reality, let's be honest. And seeing this version of it. It was fascinating. And I'd never seen it before. And any excuse to spend Christmas with the royal family. <laughs> Helen, what are your thoughts? Are you how much of a fan of the royal family or Diana in particular, are you? I've never watched The Crown, but uh, I quite like Lady Diana's fashion. And I just remember her just being kind of everywhere. And when she passed away so very young, it was just the whole nation was in mourning. And there's been quite a few different interpretations of Diana recently, but I've seen this before and I really like Kristen Stewart's approach to it. And quite a few people who knew Diana said that it's quite a good, she kind of brought together some of the mannerisms and and brought her to life in a way that they thought was quite impressive. But it's a very strange film, I think. I mean, the fact that it's got a, a score by Johnny Greenwood kind of sets you up from the start that I I do enjoy it, but it's quite an unusual film. And I would say that it it kind of almost is borderline a little bit of a horror film at times. Yeah, Kat, you're nodding away to the horror film comment there. <laughs> yeah, it reminded me a bit of Black Swan at some points, this film. We didn't actually have a synopsis, but I guess... I did wonder. Go on, I'd love to hear one. <laughs> Go on then. you got 60 seconds, Rich, starting 
from now. So this film follows the adventures of Princess Diana, the Princess of Wales. <laughs> she spends Christmas 1991 with the royal family at the Sandringham Estates. We see her arriving late and, and really already quite early on discovering the pressures that she's on to put on a particular show, the fitting in with the traditions around the British royal family, what's expected of their private and public persona, really from a, a semi-outsider point of view, how she fits in with the real expectations and the background side of the, how the staff fit into this events. We talk about the bulimia struggles that she has, the whole concept of her, the relationship has broken down with Prince Charles, her and her children. And uh, again, 25 plus years on, we see that's still going on and how she interacts with people on the estate. Oh, time's over. Oh, God, I couldn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> this is Pablo Loren film and following very closely, well, not time-wise, but very kind of similar kind of fashion to Jackie, which there's many, many parallels to draw with this, I guess, based on both being based on real people on real events, but also massively fictionalised as well. Have you guys seen Jackie? And I don't know, Pablo Ren stuff in general. You haven't seen Jackie, no? I saw Jackie at the cinema. I saw I saw this one at the cinema as well. And I quite like the, the approach in, in this one of how it's not completely based in realism. I, I actually quite like how it sort of incorporates all, all of this, as Helen says, kind of elements of horror, elements of surrealism, because I think that when it involves some people who are still with us, there's something about the kind of idea of taking it out of kind of potential soap opera and bringing it into something that's, you know, a little bit more abstract, that is both kind of more interesting to watch, I think, from my point of view, but also maybe makes you feel less as if you're meant to be watching a documentary, which is kind of Good. It's more about, you know, a person's sort of inner building hysteria rather than you thinking, oh, yes, I'm watching exact footage of what went on. I mean, for one thing, the haircut that Diana has in 1991, according to this film, is significantly more flattering than the haircuts that people actually did have in 1991, if you actually look up pictures. So so that's one element, you know, where it's not a complete snapshot. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen Jackie. I was a bit lukewarm when I saw it at first. So I think I definitely want to revisit it. And then I've also seen Emma or Emma, I don't know how you pronounce it. The other Pablo Loren film with Gail Garcia Bernal wearing little dungarees, which is like the main takeaway I got from that. <laughs> so yeah, I think he's definitely got a very specific kind of approach to taking real life female stories and putting them on screen which some people either really really like or it kind of doesn't quite work for them I think from what I can tell by letterbox <laughs> well, is the, are the ratings quite varied then yeah I think it's either people absolutely love it and think every shot is just so beautiful and the, the acting is just off the scale or it's a bit boring and weird <laughs> I think I'm on the it's a bit boring no, it's a bit weird, not necessarily boring, but I have a fundamental challenge with these types of films where it is based on real people, but also we there's no way we can possibly know what the actual story was that happened. So fundamentally, I'm kind of like, what's the point <laughs> in a way? That's why I'm not watching The Crown. 
also because I'm not really that bothered about the royal family just in general to want to watch series and series of, you know, of their lives. But I'm kind of like, well, if this is all just going to be made up, I'm not sure what's to be gained from it exactly. So do you always feel like that when you're watching historical drama? Not necessarily, but it's when, I think it's when it's when people are very much still alive and they're trying to piece together news stories that directly relate to things that have happened and then they're trying to reconstruct the conversations that have happened based on these news, start, these news stories. So I imagine that obviously... Diana was in Sandringham that Christmas and things happened, but then we're kind of reconstructing all these conversations that happened. And you kind of think, oh, I'm not sure why we're doing this exactly. But outside of that, though, Kristen Stewart as Diana thought, wow, actually, yeah, great. You <laughs> did a bang up job. I always, always, always love Sally Hawkins. I always, always, always love Sean Harris and Timothy Spall. And this was like, I don't know if you're a goodie or a baddie, but I like the way you're presenting this kind of character. And on the other side, you have almost like arm's length, you have the Queen and Prince Charles. And I didn't look up who was, those actors were, well, Prince Charles, sorry. But he was almost like off, almost like a blur in the distance, like not a motion blur, but just like that, that far away. We only, we only kind of interacted with him when it became, we needed him to be in the fray for a bit, to be a bit of an idiot or a bit of a knobhead, and then kind of step away to show that Diana was the good one and he's the bad one, kind of way. So I, I found it interesting, but also there still was that lingering, do we need this? Uh, do we need the story? Do we need this? I mean, essentially, it's vibes for like two hours. Yeah, it is. Vibes, it is. Vibes it's a hang based film, isn't it? on things that may or may not be true, but have been kind of reported in interviews or by different kind of unofficial accounts over the years. So, like the weighing thing and like having her outfits picked and kind of piecing together like the real moments. So, from the the public appearance at Christmas and the KFC story and all of those things. So did the KFC story happen? I took exception at that. Well, yeah, because did they have drive through KFCs in 1991? I can't remember. I took more exceptions to the cowboy nature of ordering KFCs. I didn't think it made any sense. Two lots of chicken. What, which chicken? Like two lots of chicken. It was just like, it was a... <laughs> that someone who doesn't point. order at KFC going to KFC. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Spencer. Sorry. <laughs> I do think it's a really, really beautiful film. The cinematography is by Claire Mathen, and I think that she worked on Portrait of a Lady on Fire as well, which is also a really beautiful makes sense. movie. And the costumes are by Jacqueline Duran, who did Barbie, and also Atonement, in which Kira Knightley wears the most extraordinary green dress, which I think is one of the most amazing outfits in, in movies of the last... 20 or so years so um you can really sort of see them um, like the sort of stamp of like proper kind of artistic concentration on this film I think it's like it's really impressive in that way what did you make of the relationship she had with people downstairs quote-unquote which kind of fed into the people upstairs because this to me was like almost I mean you talked about horror I was thinking like gaslight in the movie wasn't it it was like there's a lot of you can't do this, you, you must do this. And people knew what she was doing all the time. And she was, even that, you know, she tried to expunge the foods by going to her kid's bedroom that time. They all, Everyone knows what was going on there. And it was a really kind of creepy, horrible, gaslighty scenario, which I just felt really sorry for more than anything. That's probably one of the things that took me into. I just felt really, just really sorry for her. Yeah, that constant feeling of surveillance. And as you say, a real strong sort of gaslight feeling of, people continually telling her that everyone can see and hear everything, but also saying to her, don't see conspiracy everywhere, you know. Mm. I thought that was really, 
really quite a kind of haunting element of it all. And the whole part of Sandringham felt to me a bit like the Overlook Hotel in The Shining, this kind of big, massive building <laughs> with wings and rooms and this kind of creeping menace and everything. And it, it did feel a bit like that. And part of her, say, say, descent into madness, a bit like Jack Nicholson, was kind of slightly different because it was pretty much already there and everything here would just see with various triggers. But that kind of element of Sally Hawkins being there, or is she? You know, this is Paddington's yeah. mum, or is she? We don't know. Was she real? <laughs> don't play with Paddington's mum. a lot of mum. empathy <laughs> because she was just complaining about how cold it was. And I was just thinking, I could just imagine like how cold it, it would be. And they wouldn't put the heating on either because they're tight royals and make everyone take extra blankets. Yet she drove away with a convertible top down like the day after Christmas. That must have been fucking freezing. Good point. Yeah. Harry says, doesn't he? He goes, I'm cold, mum. So apparently Diana favoured McDonald's over KFC. Ah. But there's no like truth that she did that on Christmas. Christmas. It wouldn't even have been open. I remember there being some sort of controversy that she took the kids to see, oh, what was it? Patriot Games. In the, so this would have been after this, probably a year or two afterwards. And she took without her police detail and, and just went, oh, we're just a normal family going off to the cinema. And I believe that, you know, because of the theme of Patriot Games as well, being around the IRA, it's like, oh, she's taking sides. And everything was a controversy. And they probably went to McDonald's then as well. <laughs> Is there anything else I want to say, guys, before we head to the scores? I like that in that final scene, they're playing Mike and the Mechanics because... Mike and the Mechanics is such a specific music choice from that moment in time. And I think kind of quite truthfully reflects elements of Dana that I think were quite uncool in a way that sometimes interpretations of her now tried to forget. Like I think that Dana was a big fan of Krista Berg and stuff, mm. you know, some of her music choices could sometimes be a little bit cheesy. So um, yeah, I like I like that musical choice at the end there after all of that incredibly cool Johnny Greenwood stuff that you have early on. So that's yeah, cool. I haven't seen The Crown either, but I think I was kind of grateful that the, the head tilt, the head bob that she does to the camera, the very kind of Martin Bashir interview era stuff. I mean, I always saw that as a kind of, it looked more like a Dr. Evil kind of thing. Like, look at my head tilt. Ooh. But it wasn't overdone to the extent, I think because I've seen stuff around the crown, but I think the performance of Kirsten Stewart was, it did seem to convey a lot of different emotions and the various issues she was going through and I think it could have very very easily been done as a caricature and I think because of I think the the clip of the crown I did see where it was that kind of look at my face look at my face and she's managed to avoid that although the the Sally Hawkins element to it and the whole Anne Boleyn callbacks if you can call it a callback yeah yeah that was a very kind of interesting and, and odd and surreal way it went down it's just as you say it's horror but with almost a bit of time travel there too i just wanted to say that while i was like looking to see whether she really ate kfc if you type did diana really eat one of the things that comes up is pearls <laughs> that i mean we're kind of like watching it and we're obviously interpreting like it's completely fictional and that the the eating of the pearls is a decline of her mental health and her battles with bulimia and and that. But the fact that this kind of storytelling is based on real people and that 
people watching it feel the need to Google if she really ate pearls is kind of like creating a slightly surreal kind of world of film conversation and people not being able to kind of take apart real situations and, and real people and having kind of a an interpretation of an artist. So yeah, I just thought it was funny that there are people out there who were questioning whether Diana really ate a pearl necklace. Did she? She did not. <laughs> <laughs> In case you were wondering. <laughs> well, let's head to the scores, guys. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have included fellow Stripped Media family members Martin and Sam from Song by Song, and Kobe from Flixwatcher, and Dave from The Wire Stripped. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast, or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. So welcome to our Flix Watcher scores. They are always out of five. You can have decimal places if you wish. And we will start with you, please, Rich, with your recommendability. I'd say a four, I think, because it's such a strange blend of films. I think it's something that I would suggest that people watch. I think, like you said at the beginning, they may not necessarily enjoy it. They may sit in one extreme or the other, but I think it's something that you, it's actually an interesting watch and I definitely recommend that people go and watch it. Kat? Yeah, I think I'd give it a four as well. I think that, as I say, it's a very beautiful film in terms of how it looks and th that's quite rare these days with movies I think and I like how much space there is in it I like how sort of cold it is it sort of opens with that incredibly sort of frosty grass I love all of that and yeah I like the way the music is used in it it reminds me a bit of Punch Drunk Love the Paul Thomas Anderson film in that way so yeah I definitely give it a four. Helen? Yeah I mean I do really like it as a film. I think the score is amazing. I love Johnny Greenwood's scores and I think Kristen Stewart is so good in this, but I, I think it's a bit of a tricky one to recommend because it is a lot of vibes and at the end, like, you don't really kind of learn that much. Well, maybe you learn whether she likes McDonald's or KFC. I don't know. It's not... Or not. It, it, it isn't a documentary and it isn't trying to be in that way. It's just kind of an interpretation of how she may or may not have been feeling at the time. So I'm going to give it a 3.8, even though I am quite a big fan of it. I'm going to give it a 3.4, I think. I think it, it's an interesting piece and I'm not the biggest, I don't know how to say this without sounding callous, I'm not that fussed about royalty, but Diana in that pyramid of royalty, she's, like, she's obviously the pinnacle. She's the one that broke down barriers with people HIV AIDS. She championed all these charities. She was in a system which was kind of against her and try to fight against it and rally against it. So she's, if this was Charles, the film, I, I would not be even slightly entertaining this, but the fact it's Diana, I think Kirsten Stewart does a fantastic job portraying her, even though she's not, doesn't really look like Diana, but the the mannerisms and the intonations and how she just walk, you know, everything about her, I think is great. But the fundamental kind of story behind it, I'm not that fussed about. I, I'd recommend this a lot of Crown fans, I guess. So, yeah, 3.4. Yeah, repeat viewing score. Rich? I'll say 1.5. 
you kind of know what happens anyway. And I think any of the surprising twists and turns and the way it ends, once you've seen it, I honestly don't think I could go back and watch it again because while it's a very interesting first time watch, I think, and again, not really a, a royalist fan and really into that kind of thing, I honestly don't think other than if there was a very condensed version of it it's one of those films that you could make like a 25 30 minute version of would actually be quite enjoyable but i think after you get about halfway in or even half an hour in, you kind of think oh okay it's just more of this so i think yeah i've, I've seen it now <laughs> and it's on my letterbox as i've seen it so yeah i'm happy one and a half you can't get away from it <laughs> cat i think i'd probably give it a three i think that because of the nature of its sort of elements of kind of claustrophobia, it makes it quite an uncomfortable watch completely intentionally. But at the same time, the way it kind of conveys its specific atmosphere is really effective. And I think that I've seen it twice now, I've seen it at the cinema and on the small screen, and you do just enjoy kind of like these incredible frames and costumes and and performances and... It is an acquired taste, but I quite like elements of sort of like long silences and space and some of the things that I would like. I quite like that about Mad Men, for instance. I can remember seeing that for the first time thinking, oh, this is allowing quite a lot of space and silence. And yeah, so I'd give it a three. Helen? Yeah, so this is the second time watching it. Were you excited to watch it again? I wouldn't say excited. (laughs) I was very much on the fence of, can I remember enough to get away with it it or will I need to watch it again and I thought oh you know I've got the time I'll watch it again but I wasn't 100% invested in it the second time round so I'm definitely probably not going to watch it again I I would I think I'll go back to Jackie before I'd watch this again so uh, I'm gonna give it a three just because I have seen it twice but one you were forced to in order to participate in this podcast episode (laughs) I don't think I'm going to watch it again. I guess never say never. I'm going to go for a two there. Small screen score. Because I watched it on a medium-sized TV, I think the cinema probably would have actually been okay again with the cinematography and the score. But I think watching it on the cinema the TV, would have been okay. Yes, I think that would have hyped up that, that <laughs> side of things. But I think, again, I, I wouldn't have necessarily watched it other than I, I chose it for this because we love the 90s. But I think it seems to work okay. And I think I'll give it a three because that seems to be where it, it looks nice. And maybe a lot of people might watch this after the Queen or King's speech at Christmas. 10 past three. Cat. Sorry, three was that? 3.1 to represent 3.10 because that'll be what time it's on telly. Oh, look at that. Cat. Yeah, I think I'd give it a three as well because it still looks gorgeous, but it's significantly less good than if you see it at the cinema. Like it's just the visual elements are so strong and that music and the kind of mounting tension, it's very good if you're properly submerged in it. It really doesn't sort of lend itself to that thing of when you're kind of sprawled on the sofa and you've got one eye on your phone. And I think it loses a lot of its power when you're watching it like that. Like a lot of lot of films do, but I think particularly ones like this, it's very good if you're properly focused on it on the big screen. Helen? Yeah, I, I think yeah, I would yeah, have liked three. to have seen this at the cinema. I just think that maybe the timings didn't quite work and it kind of came out at the end of 2021 when cinema was not quite back yet then. So I missed it. 
and I think I probably would have enjoyed the experience and enjoyed looking at people's faces as they left on the way out just to kind of read read what their thoughts were so yeah I've only ever seen it on the small screen which I, I think is kind of fine so I'll give it a four I think I would have quite liked to see I think I would have got the best definitely after watching this in the cinema this and Jackie because they are such kind of a vibe piece and the hang I think the just being enveloped in the cinema screen does definitely help you I was easily distracted whilst watching this going to lend going to my engagement score whereas I definitely wouldn't have been in the cinema so I think it does actually lend itself quite well to a cinema score so I'm going to go slightly lower than you guys well I'm going to match Cat with a three engagement score Rich I'll go for two and a half after about half an hour I was at the point where I was thinking okay this needs to go somewhere and <laughs> I don't think it after really half an hour, did you had three quarters of the film still to go exactly and I was I kind of thought they did quite a lot in that half an hour to establish everything. And then as I, as it went on, I was like, okay, waiting, waiting, waiting. And, and the only thing I was waiting to see is how it ended. I, I wasn't expecting it to end with a Kentucky Fried Chicken. But I, I think, as you say, <laughs> I kind of had it on and I was following it, but I was kind of expecting to see something else. I mean, her running out in front of a load of people shooting pheasants wasn't what I was expecting, but I'll give it two and a half. Cat. I think I'd give it a four. I think that it's true what Rich says about it kind of it being a very sort of slow build film and it's not sort of one of those ones where it's sort of fast paced and you're trying to kind of get into all the intricacies of the plot but at the same time it has this feeling to it. I think one film that influenced it quite a lot is um, Kubrick's Barry Lyndon and you know that lasts about a hundred years, and <laughs> looks kind of quite similar to this. And it's very, again, it's one of those films where some people who like Kubrick's film they kind of think that that's one of their least favourite because it's very sort of slow in that way. And other people really like it. So it's it's one of these, as you said earlier, Helen. I think you know it's like one of these films that people kind of fall into one category or another. But yeah, I quite like slowness, so I give it a four. Helen. Yeah, so this is kind of a how I've managed to average out the first time watch and then the second time watch comes in at about a, th- a three point five. I think it is quite long. I think it it could benefit maybe with being a little bit shorter. And as we've sort of said, the you know it is you don't even really get to see that much of Christmas. It's just kind of yeah, that's true. Oh, that's like, a shame. like you, you kind of get the the tantalising sort of edit of all the food being prepared, and then you don't really get to see anyone enjoying it. And it's a bit with a scarecrow. She dances about a bit. There's a bit of a hallucination with Anne Boleyn. She goes off to her old family home, and <laughs> that's kind of it, really. It's like the salt it's burn all, meets the know, royal family. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> She goes on the goes goes to the beach as a little trip, but yeah, that's it. Christmas is over. Like maybe it's, the royals are just like everyone having quiet Christmases. So yeah, engagement three point five. So you're saying that's averaging your two viewings? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm getting a, a bit higher because I didn't know where it was going. Three point eight because I knew it wasn't. I was quite interested to see how the conversations would play out, and in my mind, I was kind of checking along to see if that was. I was trying to work out, is that a realistic conversation that happened or just one that's completely fictionalised and made up? And that kept me going, <laughs> in a way. Because like like Timothy Spall's character, every time he spoke, I just kind of thought, is he, is he it's just a, it seems randomly harsh for what he's 
but also he seemed quite kind at the end and, and I just couldn't get a, a bead on what his character was and if he's a true to life kind of figure because she seems to be really scared by him or really concerned by his very existence wasn't she so I think he's fictional completely fictional no but what I mean I, I, but I mean the type of character would there be like, like almost a person who was there the weighing person but also like the, the shush you budging you into a room but also giving you Amberlin books to encourage you it just seemed like a really weird person so what do you mean by that do you mean that he's a, he was just a ghostly apparition or he's just a he wasn't based on a real person so like obviously like the queen and charles are real and the chef oh, is, is a, the chef is very much a real person who had quite a, a good relationship with diana but yeah timothy spalls is not based on any true person he felt like tim curry and clue <laughs> But not that he's a ghost, though. It just means there's a person that might have done those services, but that... But not based on anyone specific. Whereas, like, Maggie was based on on a real person. Was she real? <laughs> or a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> she was based on a real person. She was based on a real person. Okay, 3.8, and that gives us an overall score of 3.22500. Repeat viewing score is the main thing that lets it down there, but didn't get much above the 3.5s in the rest of the categories. I think that's kind of fair. Well, Kat, Rich, can you tell us where we can find you online? And thank you very much for bringing us and say goodbye to listeners and say thank you very much to the listeners as well. Yeah, so you can find us at Don't You Want Me podcast on all good and bad podcast apps. We're at DYWM podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And yes, come by and listen to us talk about, and maybe we'll do a Charles and Diana special one day. Yes, I'm a big fan of Stephen Freer's film, the Queen. I think that's a good one. So maybe we should do that one. Yeah, come and find us on social media. Come and say hello. And I'm also at Kitty Costanza on Twitter and Instagram as well. So thank you so much for having us on. No, no problems at all. Please come back again soon. Thanks so much for We'd coming love to. on. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Watcher Pod on Twitter and we're at Flix Watcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Rockwood Audio's editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood Audio. Tell them Flix Watcher sent you. You just heard a stripped media production.